So open with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And you know what the great thing about being a pastor is? Is uh, really all we do is we let God talk to us, and then we just tell you what he told us. So that's a pretty, it's a pretty simple job, and I like it. Um, one of the things, though, which has really nothing, or maybe it does, but not particularly anything to do with the sermon is a couple weeks ago I was preaching on hope, a, a blueprint. And because hope is kind of like a kind of a wimpy word for us. But when I looked it up, you know, hope really means a desire and an expectation. And I've realized that today we've taken that expectation part completely out of hope. And we've just thrown it aside, you know, and it's kind of like, well, we hope like we'll roll the dice and maybe something will happen. But that's not how the Bible considers hope. And thinking about that has really changed my prayer life. And um, I was thinking about this for the, you know, obviously the uh, prayers we just did. But, you know, the other morning I was doing my devotion. I was writing a devotion from James. And before that, I had been praying. And one of the things I'm praying about right now is, uh, you know, going to Shriner, it's like $100,000 for four years. It's a lot of money. I'm only going three years. It's still a lot of money. And so I'm like, well, Lord, you know, you, you're sending me here. So why don't you just go ahead and pay for all that? <laughs> like, why don't you just handle that? Because that's the only reason I'm here is because you told me to be here. And when I was praying, I was almost hesitant to say that. Like, yo, like pay every dime. And then I thought to myself, why in the world would I be hesitant? It doesn't cost him anything to provide all my needs and then some. It doesn't take anything away from, from who he is. And then I started doing my devotional from James, and it, and it says that, you know, every good and perfect gift comes down from the, from the uh, Father of heavenly lights, of which there is no variation of shadow of turning. That means that every good and perfect thing we've ever had or we have right now came from him. And the fact that he doesn't change means that he's willing to do it again and again and again. And it goes on to say, because he called us forth of his own will. And I started thinking about that, and it's, man, you know, I wrote in my devotional, you know, we're not, it's not like we're beggars coming before God that has to, like, well, let me check my pockets. Or, you know, like we do, like he has to somehow stir himself up to be compassionate towards us. No, 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 no. He has all means, and he called us forth into inheritance and to glory. He called us forth as friends. And there is no deficit in the Lord God. So we can call that one of those, another one of those sermonettes, huh? Anyways, I hope that's encouraging to you. So I guess that kind of segues into what we're going to talk about today. Because what we're going to talk about is the good life. And what is the good life for Christians? And, uh, you know, in America, we would say the good life is, or I guess they would say is, you know, you become wealthy, you have lots of friends, um, you have some sort of status, you know, it you look at the commercials and it's all, you know, sex and appeal and what I mean, you can fill in the blanks. Okay, America is not hard to figure out. But what does it mean um, to have a good life in Christ? And having a good life, the, the answer really changes depending on who you ask. But primarily, regardless of, of what scenario, scenario you're talking about, it's always to have a life that's fulfilling, right? That's somehow meaningful. Uh, a life where you're in a loving community and you end up, if nothing else, well off, where things are provided for, okay? 
And uh, when Jesus came, however, he painted a very different picture of what the good life was, or at least how we get to those same ends. And I think this is very interesting, right? The, the outcome is the same, but getting there is far different. So Jesus comes, but he comes as a king. And he comes as a king who's proclaiming that there's going to be a new kingdom, a new political system, in which the way we operate inside this kingdom will be vastly different than any other nation, any other kingdom, any other political system on this earth. It's a kingdom where the esteemed have to learn to, to serve the forgotten. It's a kingdom where the greatest wash feet and where the rich learn to give their goods for the poor. It's also a system, a kingdom, where the poor and the persecuted, as we prayed for, are called blessed. You don't get that in America. But let's go ahead and, uh, well, let's ask this. How is that possible then? How is it possible to have a kingdom where the most highly esteemed people become servants and the poor are persecuted are called blessed. And how does that lead to having a fulfilled, loved, and well-off life? Because if you ask anybody out there, hey, if you end up with basically nothing and everybody hates you, is that the good life? They're going to be like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> why, why are we having this conversation? But let's go ahead and I'm just going to read through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. And Paul speaks and says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So starting back at verse 7, he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So, the easiest question to pop off, which I believe we probably all know the answer to, is what treasure is this? Well, it's funny. He, he uses the, the term earthen vessels to, 
to paint this picture that, man, we're frail. We're frail. We're fragile. We're just, really, we're just perishing people. We're made of dust. I mean, there's not a whole lot of power in that, you know. But God, God does something so much beyond our deserving. So much beyond our any worth that we could ever claim for ourselves, and that is he gives us the power of his salvation. He gives us his own spirit to dwell within us. And to me, it's, that's always something mind-blowing, the amount of love and the desire of, for unity that God has for us. You know, So often we get content where we are and we feel like we know the Lord and we can kind of just sit and absorb. But God, I don't think God ever feels that contentment. He always wants to show us more of who he is. He always wants to draw us closer. But being frail and unworthy, God dwells in us. And when we, uh, making ourselves weak, when we know, when we understand our flaws and our weaknesses, that's when God's power, the excellence of his power really shines through. And it's greater than any things we could do with our own hands, I'll tell you that much. But the thing is, let me, let me take this off, if that's okay. The thing is, it's that same power and that same spirit that allows us to endure all things and to be content in every circumstance. Verses 8 through 9 say, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Anybody ever felt like that? I know you have. Sometimes all of a sudden you just, you wake up and the world is hitting you from every different direction. And it's ridiculous. Okay. (laughs) If you don't go through it a lot, I need to live with you because I go through it a lot. (laughs) But we are hard pressed on every side, even more so as Christians. Yet guess what? We're not crushed. This frail, this earthen vessel isn't destroyed. God sustains it. Right? Right? We're perplexed, but not in despair. We have hope. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. God never leaves us. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Pastor Mark says all the time, the worst thing someone could do to us is kill us. And we step into eternal glory. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Me and my buddy Ruben were talking about, (laughs) as we were both uh, different times, but both of us, as we were coming into our faith and really stepping out into our faith, we were sharing stories about how at one time we were both just like, man, just kill me now. I'm good. Let's go. <laughs> and of course, I've, shown, I've shared my story and why um, that thought changed in my head. But that's completely, that's something else. We'll talk about that later. Anyways, you know, we may be fragile, but God strengthens us. He uplifts us. He preserves us. All we have to do is call out on him. He's always there. Everyone else in the world, they've got to do it on their own. They've got to try to bear that on their own. But he's he's here to carry us through and through and through. Have you ever um, had to carry your Bible through the rain? I don't know about you. I don't like my Bible getting wet. So I'm like hiding the thing, right? You ever carried something extremely fragile? Outside, there's people running around. What do you do with it? You tuck it up. Everybody ever had to carry a a handful of cash in in a windy weather? You hang on pretty tight, right? That's kind of this image that I get. 
not how God sees us. He's always just, man, just holding us and carrying us through, covering us. Because without that, man, we're fragile. We would shatter. We would shatter. But in Christ, I've been through so many things that I see shatter other people. And just as it gets harder and harder, and you think, man, if I get to that point, I'm going to break. Suddenly you're there, and God's walking, through, walking you through it with peace and with joy. And he pulls you through. Verse 10. We are always carrying in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Here's the thing. As long as we're in this flesh, and as long as there's lost people out in the world, we have a message to proclaim. Eternal life and forgiveness of sins to all in the name of Jesus. Oh, and by the way, um, those other good lives, they don't offer that. Just so you know. They don't offer eternal life and forgiveness of sins. But Christ does. And it's in those hard times, those hard times that God walks us through. If you want to serve another kingdom, you want to serve, you know, uh, the American good life, yeah, God's not going to help you out with that one. But we are called to call others just as Christ called us. And, you know, the thing is, how did Jesus provide a calling? How did, when Christ was here, what was his main witness to people? How did he, he, he show on one side the power and the truth of his message, right? Was it not through enduring insults, torture, and even death to proclaim freedom to the world? If that's so, we have the same expectation to carry the shame and the conviction of Christ wherever we go. Doesn't sound like the good life yet, does it? Not yet? We'll get there. It's okay. But just as we share in his death, right? It says, what did verse say? Uh, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Just as we, we carry the suffering of Christ, we get to share in his life and spirit. What defines Christ's life aside from the cross? Wasn't it salvation, hope, peace, joy, healings, deliverances, freedom, purpose, resurrection to the eternal kingdom of God? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Sounds better than a, a lonely, insecure life marked by a short time of wealth to be traded into eternal fire. I mean, that's just my opinion. Verse 11. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. You know, when you begin to publicly proclaim Christ, first of all, there's nothing, man, there's nothing better than that. It's pretty scary. It's pretty exciting, but there's nothing better. But the moment your life starts getting, being marked as a Christian, you instantly become a target of the enemy, right? Instantly, he wants to do whatever he can to send hate and death your way. 
and all his focus goes on you. You ever seen somebody who uh, they get baptized and they're so excited and then like two weeks later their life has fallen apart? I see it all the time. Uh, but, in fact, my buddy Jeff uh, Holloway, we ju- I just did uh, four baptisms a couple weeks ago and he was telling the people, warning them about that, like, hey man, I accepted Christ and all this happened. But God delivered and God delivered and God delivered and now I've learned how not to worry. Now I've learned to be content. Now my relationship is restored. Now I have my daughter. Now I have a place to live. And God just answered my prayer and gave me the job I've been looking for. That's a testimony to the glory of Christ. So just as Satan might put his attention on us, so God makes us the attention of his glory and love in amazing ways. Because here's the thing, the message of our tongue, as long as the, the, the message of Christ is on our tongue, it's only going to be as effective as that message in our life. On how we really walk that. And as long as it's just teaching and words, this is, I'll tell you what, especially on a college campus, as long as I'm just walking around, you know, telling, well, here's, here's what the Bible says, here's what Jesus says. Every other doctrine, every other religion, every other whatever someone wants to believe, they get to play their cards right along with me. Say, oh, what this says. Oh, what this says. But when Jesus manifests in us, and when people get to see his word fulfilled, when, we get to, when, he, when people get to see Christians going through the same trials and the same temptations that they go through and have joy, and they see Jesus in your life, that is a witness that not every, not any other doctrine gets to play their cards to. Right? And when Jesus' words are fulfilled, the scales tip. Because as long when people hear, you know, the message, they have things to say. But when they see those things, the gospel comes to life, they suddenly get quiet. There's this guy at a, there's this guy at Shriner. His name is Mark. I don't know. And he came up, he, he saw me and my friend Cole talking, and then we had an open Bible. And so he, the, I mean, you could tell on his face, but he was only coming to argue. And argue we did. And it was philosophy this, and philosophy that, and blah, 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 natural law, divine law. I didn't even know, the only reason I knew what he was talking about is because I happened to have a Christian ethics class. Thank you, God. And I'm studying <laughs> philosophy. So, the, sec- the second time we meet, same thing, he starts going, and uh, I finally just say, you know what, man, uh, Start talking to him about faith and uh, start saying, you know, you didn't, you didn't check that chair when you sat down. You didn't check the weldings or the screws. You just sat. That's faith. He said, no, 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 no. That's experience. That's not faith. That, you know, I've done it before. I said, ah, well, here's the key. Faith is built on experience, my friend. And I started telling him about all the ways God has provided for my life and still does. And he says, well, you know, you just pray hard enough and then things happen. Of course, you're going to give credit to God. I said, Okay. Okay, well, I guess you could say that. I said, well, let me tell you this then. And I told him the story. I was with Derek, uh, a good friend of mine, having a discipleship meeting at Hastings. And there was a guy behind me, and uh, he started talking to me. And suddenly I realized I needed to witness this guy. Didn't really want to. I'll just be honest. I didn't really want to. Uh, but Derek turns his phone to me and says, hey, witness to that guy. I'm like, okay, fine. So uh, the guy behind me, his, I found out later his name was Chris Gary. But he's on the phone. So as he's on the phone, I'm praying and I'm like, Lord, I don't know this guy. I don't know anything about him. Like, 
would you give me something so he knows I'm from you? That was all I asked. The strangest thing happened, which has actually happened several times now, but I wrote down on a piece of paper so Derek could see it because I'm discipling him. Uh, someone in his life named Jarrell was shot when he was nine. Derek says, do you know this guy? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> we'll find out pretty quick if this is from me and my crazy thoughts or if this is from God. So he goes outside and uh, he gets off the phone. I walk out and said, hey, man, how's he going? You know, introduce myself. And I said, hey, do you mind if I ask you a question? He goes, yeah, shoot. I said, um, do you have anybody in your, in your life named Jarrell? He looks at me kind of weird. He said, well, I had a cousin named Jarrell. I said, he was shot when you were nine, wasn't he? His eyes got real big. He said, yes, in San Antonio. I said, did he make it? He said, no, he did not. Said, okay, man. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. I said, we don't know each other, right? He says, no. He said, dude, I'm, from, I'm not even from here. <laughs> I've been here for like two weeks. Of course I don't know you. I said, okay. I said, well, the only reason, the only way I could have possibly known that about you is because God gave me that word to prove that he's here to seek you today and that he wants to call you into his eternal kingdom. I gave him the gospel, and he accepted it right there on the spot. And so this guy who's been arguing me, who's really, going back to the Shriner story, who's been really struggling to kind of one-up me with all his philosophical blah, blah, blah I could care less about, I tell him the story, and suddenly he's mad. He is. He's mad. Because what are you going to say to that? You going to tell me it didn't happen? Prove it. See, when the evidence of Christ shows up in our life, the true evidence of Christ, words fall short. Arguments dissipate. And that's the kingdom that Jesus brought and is established now. Will Jesus establish a true physical kingdom on this earth? Yes, he will, and I look forward to seeing it. But he has established one now. And it is contrary and it is at war with every other kingdom and political system on the face of the earth. And being part of it comes with struggles, comes with attacks, but he provides everything that we need so we can, in the midst of that, we can live the good life. And we can provide a message to others that they don't have to seek those things that leave them empty. They don't have to work and toil to, to try and achieve a goal that's just going to leave them broken that they can be, filled, be fulfilled now in the name of Jesus. And that's why it says in verse 12, so then death is working in us, but life in you, because as long as death and attacks come to our lives, and we get to, and it produces glory for God, and we get to be witnesses, it begins to produce life in others through the gospel. Verses 13 through 14. He says, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, which this was Psalms 116, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you. David, it was David that wrote Psalm 116, right? I didn't even check. doesn't say. I'm going to assume it's David. Whoever's writing in the midst of trouble, he believed he would see that eternal kingdom. He believed that there was a God who sustained him and who would be there in the midst of his struggles. And since he believed that he would be delivered, he could speak, I am greatly aff afflicted. Because even in the affliction, he knew God would deliver him. And I love what Pastor Mark was saying about um, 
about the, uh, the giving the vows because it's making me think when I tell my one minute testimony, you know really what it is? I went to jail, was looking at prison, and I said, Lord, if you get me out of here, I'll give you anything, everything, even my last breath. And he delivered me from that. And ever since, he's been taking a whole lot of breath for me. <laughs> and I've been gladly given it. And I long to proclaim that. Okay? But I'm, I'm also getting somewhere. Okay? And that is, I love, he says, I believed, therefore I speak. And I stand here, and Pastor Mark stands here, and we speak because we believe in the message of Christ, in the things we're speaking. And we know that our labor, our fellowship together, our love, it's not vain. It's not temporary. Everything we do here, in every way we build each other up, it produces eternal fruit. Every soul who hears our words we're going to see them in heaven. And we're going to be able to rejoice and worship with them forever. And every work we do for Christ will be an imperishable reward. Verse 14 says, But for all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. And here's, here's the kicker. Here's where I believe things have to begin to change in in our perspective as the church, in our perspective as Christians, and I was thinking about this last Wednesday, that Paul endured all these things, not just for the sake to say he endured them, but for the church, for the people who were lost, right? By grace, he was able to show grace that it would reach from one to another to another, and it would draw worship to God. Now think about this. When Paul was out, when he was going to meeting, meet the churches, when he was planning churches, when he was doing all these things, do you think Paul needed encouragement? You don't think so? I think so. I think Paul needed encouragement. Do you think he needed edification? Absolutely. Do you think he needed to spend time and abide in Christ? Absolutely. And I bet you he did, right? But in those times of fellowship, he was not just there to receive. At every meal, every gathering, he was there to speak and to serve. All his afflictions and trials were in service to Christ so he could serve others. And the point I'm trying to make here is as Christians, we need to stop gathering just to be served. And we need to start gathering to serve. We need to start gathering to serve. Because if you're gathered together and everyone's serving one another, you're going to get filled. You're going to get edified. You're going to get those things that God has desired for you. But something in our hearts and minds needs to change. And we need to realize that God has given us this treasure in earthen vessels. And we can share it with others. How much time do we spend in churches and gatherings, in small groups, and we show up with nothing to give? We're just there like this. Or like this. We, didn't even, we don't even think about we could possibly add something. We could possibly give something. And I was thinking about this because Wednesday night after Blueprint, I go to Shriner. And um, everybody was talking after the service. And they're doing their thing. Everybody's having a good time. And finally, someone behind me says something. And I look. I didn't even know this guy was back there. He's standing over here by himself. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? So we start talking. Find out he's a Christian and looking for... for um, 
a roommate and different things like that. But you know what happens through our conversation? I start noticing he's saying Heavenly Father like a comma. Like, oh, you know, Heavenly Father did this. And when I pray to Heavenly Father, and there's nothing wrong with that other than I just thought it was kind of strange, right? So I finally ask him, well, who do you, let me ask you, who's Jesus? To make a long story really short, he, he considered Jesus was from God, but not exactly God. So I was able to share with him things like Jeremiah 23, 6 of the Messiah, of Jesus, and his name shall be called Yahweh, our righteousness. And I was able to take him through the scriptures, and his mind was just blown to find out Jesus was God. And I started thinking about that, about how everybody else, they had no concern for this guy. They were only there for themselves, which is okay to an extent, right? They were there to hear the word, but they were really there for themselves. And I've realized that since the day God called me in ministry, the only thing that really changed in me, other than the amount of time I spend in the word, is when I started going out everywhere I went, I was just looking for someone to talk to. I was looking for God to say one thing from my mouth that could somehow help. And rather it's here, rather it's at Blueprint, at Reset, at Shriner, wherever I go, what I have realized is that everywhere I go and I have this, guess what? There's always someone who needs it. There's always someone who needs it. And like I said, this treasure that God has given us, the spirit of God within you, is it the same all around? Yeah. Is the way it manifests and works in your heart the same as everyone else? No. God has anointed you with special gifts, with unique interests. And those things are shareable. Those things are shareable. For the people who get wisdom, they can share with those who don't know. For those who have compassion, they can show it to the broken. For those who have wealth, they can give to those in need. That is what the church looks like. This is just part of it. This is just part of it right? We need to learn to be, to be more eager to serve God than we are eager to see how God can serve us. Because there is no greater joy than being a part of the church and acting as the church. Romans 1, 11 through 12, I just want to share this with you. Paul says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. He longed to see them to edify them. He didn't even know these people. That is, that I may be encouraged together, together, with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. And when the church starts to to change their view, and they start to realize, man, I've got something to give, whatever that is, and we start to come into unity, and we start to lift each other up through these trials, we start to share joy through our struggles. We start to share the word God has given us to others who are in just as much need of it. We begin to see provision. We begin to see wonders. Guys, I've seen wonders in the last couple of years. I ain't even gonna lie to you. I've seen some crazy stuff. I know Pastor Mark has too. Some of it we've seen together recently. And it's, blown, it's still blowing my mind. We see fulfillment. We, still, we see promise, eternal life. That, guys, that is the good life. And in a relationship, it's a two-way thing, right? We got to give 
and we got to receive and give and receive. And as long as our, our relationship as part of the church is simply to receive, that fulfillment, it's going to be lacking. It's going to be lacking. There's nothing greater for me personally than when you just see God use something that he did through you. That is the greatest thing you could ever experience. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, what is, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Why we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Anybody in here, your body's getting any better? You feel any younger today than you did about a year ago? Anybody? I don't. I'm only 24 and I don't feel it. <laughs> my, my, my joints are all jacked up, right? The wor- is the world getting any more palatable for, uh, for Christians? Not particularly, right? See, these things, though, these things are perishing. Our flesh is perishing. There's nothing we can do about that. But the inward man, that's something we can make new day by day by day. Right? And that's something that as we renew it in the word of God, as we renew it in fellowship and prayer, like I already said, we can share that with others. But our eyes have to be focused and our gaze have to be fixed on the Lord. Not on the physical or the immediate things, but on God who works all things together for the good. Because he is our constant. He is our fullness. He is our joy. He is our richness and our life. And as long as we allow the things around us, the circumstances of our life, to dictate our feelings, they're always going to be like this. Always. But when we fix our eyes on a God who doesn't change, who never changes, so our joy will never change. So our peace will never change. But we have to physically make that choice day after day, right? As we change our perspective from the serve to the servant, he completes us with purpose. As we endure, we are molded for greater works, for greater increase. So as we believe, guys, let us speak. Let us speak. If you believe, speak. Even in the midst of your trials, share it with your neighbors, with your family, with your waitress. You know how many waitresses I've, I've seen get saved just because when, you, when they expect them to check, they're going to stand and listen. I promise you. I'm serious. I'm, that's not a joke. I'm dead serious. Waitresses get saved. Or waiters too, I guess. You know, let's, not be, let's not be sexist here. And we can renew ourselves day by day, even if the world crumbles around us. We can pass that gift of God, that excellence of power, and that promise of eternal life to others. It's free. And in God, there is no deficit. So we can receive and we can give, and we can receive and we can give endlessly. But it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. Anybody here um, really learned the word real well before they read it? Of course not. That would be silly. The fact that I just said that was kind of silly. These are choices we have to make. And in the least of these, of, and in the least, ah, if in the least of things, 
we have everything. And in sudden death, we find eternal life. We not only have that for ourselves, but we can pass that to others. That, guys, to me, that is the good life. That is the good life. One last thing, and we'll, and we'll end. I was sharing with Reuben yesterday as we were driving together. You know, since, and I've probably shared this a hundred times, but I, I, I want to be an encouragement. Since Courtney and I have been married, we have, as far as excess, finances, whatever the world wants to look at, a savings account, I don't even know what that is, right? I think last time we had something in our savings account, it was like one cent. And we've had nothing, really nothing. But man, God has given us everything. We have never lacked. We've never went hungry. Never been depressed. Or I, I don't get depressed. You know, we've always been fulfilled. We've had our, it's just amazing what God does. And you know what? And God has increased us over the years. When I walk, when I, <laughs> you know, when I look at some of the things that God has given me that I don't need, that I just have, it's like, man, I feel rich. And I remember how broke I am. But still, <laughs> I feel rich, and that's good, right? Who wants to feel rich? I like that. God gives us everything. And there's no need to look anywhere else, because as soon as our eyes fall off of Jesus, we sink. We sink into that water, right? And as long as we, we receive and we take in, but we're not sharing with others, Man, you're only living a half-life. And it could be as simple as there's someone on the other side of the room that nobody's talking to. There's someone on the other side of the room that you don't know. And making the choice, man, I want to go talk to that person, see how I can love them today. Sometimes that conversation alone is what that person needed to feel loved. Sometimes it's in, man, this is what I'm going through. And you go, hey, I went through that too, and let, let me tell you what God did in my life. Sometimes that's all it takes to serve. But if we're not doing that, if that's not our focus, if we're not going to gathering saying, Lord, use me, the church is missing part of its foundation. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much, Lord, for everyone here today, Lord, and uh, for giving them open hearts and minds, Father, and, and for patience to, to listen to my rants. And, uh, Father God, I ask that you do just continue to provide these people peace, that you continue to give us eyes to see you, Lord. And that for anybody who, who hears this message and say, man, I don't know what this guy's talking about. What peace, what joy. Father, that you would put, their, put it in their hearts that they can have that today. That if they would cry out to you, the living God, and say, Lord, I know I have nothing but I want you to forgive me and be the king of my life. Let me be part of such a kingdom, Lord, that you will answer and you will surely fulfill your promises. So, Lord, for all of us, we ask that you just forgive us of our sins, that you would guide us in purpose, and that you would give us a new desire to serve and to be your church. Father, I thank you for who you are and all that you do. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.